There is a lot of fiction out there, and a lot of that fiction is, I think, an intentional uh, effort to intimidate Christians from sharing their faith. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Senior Vice President at Alliance Defending Freedom, Douglas Napier. Now, Doug is an attorney with ADF and oversees 40 ADF litigation attorneys. And if you're not familiar with Alliance Defending Freedom, I recommend that you check them out as ADF was founded to help fight for religious freedom, sanctity of life issues, and a whole lot more. My co-host John Ramsett and I recently interviewed Doug and we touched a great deal on the do's and don'ts of faith in the workplace. So if you've ever had a question about what you can or can't do in your workplace, you will want to listen to this and maybe share it with some colleagues or friends. Here now is how John started our conversation with Douglas Napier on this edition of Eternal Leadership. All right, Steve, today on Eternal Leadership, I want to welcome Doug Napier. I met Doug, uh, Steve, through Pinnacle Forum, where I'm a partner, and Doug is also a partner. Doug is with Alliance Defending Freedom. He's their executive vice president, their chief alliance officer, And for anybody out there that's not familiar with Alliance Defending Freedom, it is a legal organization uh, that is constantly advocating for the rights of all of us here in the U.S. to live out our faith publicly. And we've all heard of lawsuits. We might have seen God's Not Dead. Those kind of lawsuits are handled by Alliance Defending Freedom in a number of different areas. They do incredible work. So, Doug, welcome to Eternal Leadership. Well, thank you very much, John and Steve. It's great to be on your show. Hmm. Well, Doug, I would let you know as we get started, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about who you are, your journey, as people get to know you. And then uh, there's some definitely some questions I have for you today just about our culture and our faith in the marketplace and what we can do as leaders. But let me turn it over to you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of start uh, where I am and work backwards. As you mentioned, I'm at Alliance Defending Freedom, and I've been there for eight years uh, as a senior counsel working with the legal team, uh, which were focused on three areas of religious liberty and sanctity of life and uh, just defending the structure of marriage and the family supporting that. And I got involved in Alliance Defending Freedom because I've always had a passion for the law, but I've also had a passion for ministry and uh, really for uh, religious freedom. I guess I shouldn't say always, but going back to a fairly young age when I came to know the Lord and uh, realized the significance of the gospel. I grew up in a family of lawyers, and so I've always been exposed to the legal profession and the law, but I grew up in a small town in the Midwest where uh, the law was a profession, not a, a business. The law was something that was used to help people, to serve people, And so I saw that firsthand. Uh, Both my grandfather's a lawyer, my dad was a lawyer, and when I graduated from law school, went back and practiced with my father, thinking I would spend the rest of my life just practicing uh, law, but uh, God had other plans and opened the door for me to join uh, this great ministry, uh, advocating on the front lines of religious freedom uh, here in the United States, and we've even expanded internationally. Now, before law school, Doug... You went to a much harder <laughs> school than law school, you, you told me before. What, what was that? 
Well, you know, I always thought from a very young age I was going to be a lawyer. I was one of those nerdy kids that carried around a briefcase in junior high. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, my friends would come over to our house, and, and they were always uh, a bit amazed and perplexed by the dinnertime conversation we had because my father would always talk about current events and legal topics, and it was just fascinating to me. Uh, but when I went to college pursuing my law degree, I got very involved in campus ministry, I grew spiritually, and I thought, you know, I really want to dedicate the rest of my life to serving the Lord. And for me, it seemed like the only way I could prove my faithfulness to God was to go to seminary, become a missionary, become a, a pastor, even though I really didn't see myself in that role. So I, I made this unfortunate comment to my father. I said, I don't want to waste the rest of my life being a lawyer. I'm going to seminary. But while I was at seminary, uh, one of my uh, dear professors, uh, Howard Hendricks, who many of your listeners will know, mm-hmm. uh, asked me, he says, well, what do you, you want to do when you finish seminary? And I told him, I said, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, Prof, I, I really don't know. I don't see myself as a, uh, a preacher because I'm passionate about the issues and I'm outspoken. I'm afraid I'll probably get run out of every church I go to. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, I certainly don't see myself as a missionary. He says, well, what did you think you were going to do before you came to seminary? I said, well, I've always thought I'd be a lawyer. I love the law. And he says, well, why didn't you do that? And I told him my story. He says, well, don't you think God needs Christian lawyers? Now, I know to some people the idea of a Christian lawyer seems like an oxymoron. <laughs> but uh, he said, you know, we need people in the marketplace. We need people in business. We need Christian lawyers. We need Christian doctors, Christian accountants. And and really, uh, the, the point he was making is that we're first and foremost Christians, and God will use many different channels uh, to allow us to live out our Christian lives. So yeah, seminary was extremely difficult and challenging to me. I was not gifted in the languages. And uh, so when he said that, he said, you really ought to pray about what is God really directing you to do with your life? And it was like lights went off and burdens were lifted. And I thought, you know what, this was certainly not a wasted detour because seminary was excellent. The training was outstanding and the the foundation that it gave me was uh, super. But not only that, just the conversation with Howard Hendricks to say, God can use you in your professions for his glory, for his kingdom work. And so I finished seminary. I, I kind of rearranged my schedule and I went to law school and I, I saw every day in my practice, you know, people coming in to my office who needed help, they were facing crises in life that I probably would have never seen if I was behind a pulpit. Doug, do you see that a lot that there's, you know, you're talking about first and foremost being a Christian. And that means that wherever you are in any aspect of life, you can be effective for God. Uh, but, you know, you bring up a, a theme that so many people view service to God or living out our faith as mission work or you know traditional ministry work was that a big minds uh was that a big mindset shift for you it is and i see it a lot it's this this false notion of this uh, you know this false dichotomy of the sacred versus the secular we think if you're in the marketplace that's secular but if you're in church or you're on a mission, short-term mission trip or you're even sharing the gospel that, that that's somehow the sacred and the spiritual I don't think God sees it that way. I think he sees that who we are and our identity in Christ and our uh, mission as ambassadors for Christ penetrates everything we do from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed and maybe even through the night. And so that was very a, a, a huge point uh, that I really had to let sink in 
And I encourage others, and one of the reasons why I really appreciate ministries like Pinnacle Forum, who uh, really encourage business leaders to use their skills and their passions and where they where they're planted mm-hmm. uh, to just uh, you know share the the love of Christ. With the background in Pinnacle Forum and what we're trying to do, Doug, we're really through this podcast, encouraging people to not only grow spiritually and have a closer personal relationship with Christ, but then how do they live that out in their life? How do they take that into their lives more effectively into the marketplace? And a question I've been just dying to ask you is, uh, or a question I really want to ask you is, how do Christians today just navigate in this world to live out their faith in the marketplace? I, I get so much feedback from CEOs and leaders and managers uh, about you know there's there's a fear out there just about the legal system and the HR police if they if they're living out their faith in the marketplace and they're they want to host a bible study or pray with the people they're around or working with there's a big fear around some of those issues what are, maybe you can help us discern the 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 fiction and the reality here of of the landscape sure and i, I think what you just said kind of hits the nail on the head that there is a lot of fiction out there and a lot of that fiction is, I think, an intentional uh, effort to intimidate Christians from sharing their faith. You know, we, we really live in a spiritual uh, battle, and we know that, uh, that as we go out and try to express the truth, uh, there's an equal and opposite, well, not equal, but certainly an opposite reaction from the enemy that wants to stop that. And as there has developed this an allergic reaction in the marketplace, in our schools, to anything uh, religious, but typically that is not just any religion, it's Christianity. And there's a double standard out there. But I think that uh, what our uh, business leaders and our employees need to understand is what can they do? We actually produced a, a booklet called Faith in the Workplace. We're going into a reprint right now uh, that helps navigate some of those questions, the Q&A, uh, Q&A format. So, you know, can I pray at work? A lot of it really depends on what your position is. And we want uh, to make sure that we give good advice, good legal advice, uh, one that reflects the status quo of the law uh, so people know what the risks are, but also what we think the law should be or what it really is under the First Amendment. You know, free exercise of religion uh, you know, doesn't give you carte blanche uh, permission to go into the workplace and you know, stand up in the lunchroom and you know, shout out a sermon. Uh, but it, it does give you the opportunity to be genuine about who you are. So if you're allowed to talk in the break room about the football game on the weekend, you should be able to talk about the sermon on the weekend. And it's making making a level playing field. Now, if you're in a position of leadership, the concern is always: Are you using your position of a leadership to coerce uh, you know, a subordinate uh, into uh, your agreeing with your religious views? And that gets a little more tricky. But that's more common sense. We have a saying around our office that "stupid for Jesus is still stupid." So, uh, <laughs> stupid is as stupid does. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, we we do need to be wise, and we don't want to unnecessarily draw fire where we don't need to draw fire. And but, uh, you know, we tell CEOs all the time, especially in closely held or privately owned businesses, that uh, you know this is their business, and while they can't. Uh, require, I mean, if they're in a, a for-profit so-called secular business, it's not a ministry, you know, they, they're not going to be able to discriminate on the basis of religion and hiring unless it's 
specifically necessary to do their job. And, and most of them uh, you know, that I've talked to said, we never make that a condition. In fact, we see our mission field as inviting people in, letting them see the genuine crisis, sometimes without words. Uh, it's about building relationships. It's about being fair and honest, letting them see the integrity in the workplace. So I think there's a lot of ways to communicate the gospel, even without having a Bible study, even without having a prayer meeting. But even those things are acceptable and permissible if done the right way. So if I'm a owner of a small or a, a private company, Doug, and I do, let's say I want to bring on somebody who shares my faith. Is it okay for me to ask those kind of questions in the interview to discern that? The short answer is no. Okay. Uh, there, under the uh, EEOC guidelines, and you know, if you're a small business under, uh, I think it's 25 employees now, you may not fall under those guidelines. But I think as a matter of practice, if it's not germane to the position itself, then I, I would say no. You shouldn't ask those questions. Um, I think you hire on the basis of their general competencies and skills, whether they meet the position. Now, if, if you have, uh, uh, I'm speaking to a group of Christian booksellers in, uh, in next year, and that's an interesting situation because you have these Christian bookstores. In a Christian bookstore, it is a for-profit business, but they see these businesses as a ministry. Well, if you have somebody who's uh, in a small bookstore, and they're going to be serving primarily a, a Christian community with books and Bibles and resources and Sunday school materials, you're going to want somebody who understands that, can relate to that. And I think it's appropriate in those circumstances to have as a job requirement uh, that they at least have a, a competency for that. But I think that we would say really to have a competence that you have to have a personal relationship with Christ to really understand it and to be able to do the job well. But if you're, uh, you know, you're a store uh, selling hamburgers, uh, you probably don't need to know that. Uh, so just like you're not supposed to ask people's age or marital status, uh, you're not supposed to ask their uh, religious affiliation either. Okay. Now, as, as you were practicing law before you went to ADF, um, it, it seems to me that the, the the legal landscape is really not very friendly to the Christian worldview. How did that come up in practice as you as you were working with you know, business issues and in the traditional legal environment. Well, it was it was challenging, uh, but you know we have to understand the, the world just doesn't comprehend. Uh, they're really kind of blind and, and deceived to uh, what we really, by God's grace, are able to embrace uh, in Christianity. So when I would go into a courtroom. Um, I did some family law, and uh, it's a heartbreaking uh, area to practice in. That's uh, disillusions and child custody issues and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, a number of years ago, many states ushered in this concept of no-fault divorce, which meant if one party wanted a divorce, the other side didn't really have any choice. And I would get typically women who didn't want a divorce come into my office, and those are the ones that I like to take because they wanted to stay married, and I wanted to do everything I could in my legal profession to help them. And we had provisions in the code for counseling and reconciliation measures, and I would uh, apply for those, and the judges would look at me odd, the lawyers on the other side would look at me, they'd roll their eyes, and they'd say, you know, why do you want to do that? I said, because, you know, God hates divorce. 
And I have a, a couple here who professed faith in Christ and the biblical principles, and they made a covenant before God. And uh, I want to help them live out their faith in their marriage. Uh, plus, it's best for the kids, and it's best for the culture. And, of course, they say, oh, preach it up here, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, they, they don't understand it, but I use the tools that were available under the law. And I, even with their resistance, though, I had lawyers say, you know, I've never thought about that before. Really? And Yeah. And, uh, I, and I had, I, we had some, uh, some successes. You know, I would tell clients that the most important thing that they could do in this situation is to reconcile. And it may be hard. It may be gut-wrenching. But I truly believe you'll make the investment in this. It's worth it. And I will refund every cent that you have paid me if you will reconcile before you get a divorce. Hmm. And, and it was, you know, just amazing. And I would do that with non-Christians. Uh, I, I would just say, this is how important marriage is. And this is how invested I am. In it. I believe in it so much that I don't care about my fee. I care about your marriage. And we saw some successes. I had one couple a week before they were supposed to go to trial, uh, say, let's call it off. We got to work this out. They're still married to this day. Well, that must've felt good. Ah, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing uh, to, and I think that's what's true of anybody who recognizes that God can use them wherever they are in a small town in the Midwest, or if they're at the top of a corporation, that God can use them if they make themselves available. Well, I think you're highlighting such a great principle that you used with these couples, but we anybody can use wherever they're at in running a company. If you just bring those biblical principles in, you share what the principle is and where it came from and why it's important to you, it's going to have an impact on people in a, in a very positive way and change the outcomes, isn't it? You know, absolutely. And I, I tell business leaders all the time, I said, you know, maybe you, you uh, don't feel in your position you can lead a Bible study. So, but what are your policies at your company that promote marriage, that promote time off with children? Uh, you know, you have a, an employee assistance program that will address drug and alcohol uh, abuse. But what are you doing to provide you know, counseling to couples that are in a crisis? Uh, what are you doing to, to foster adoption uh, or, or foster care? I mean, there are a lot of just proactive things that will promote, uh, you know, the, the biblical principles. And when people start to see those, we know that when couples get married and have kids, they start thinking about going to church. And uh, if you, you know, have a, a flexible work schedule, people can have time off to go to church. And just permit I me, mean, look at Hobby Lobby, Chick-fil-A, they're closed on Sundays for that reason. Well, you know, as you moved into Alliance Defending Freedom, I'd love for you to share a little bit to our audience who's not uh, real familiar with what you do, what, what you guys do on a daily basis, what's your mission, uh, and then I really have some questions that I'm burning to ask about just the culture that we live in and the landscape today and, and how you're addressing this just huge mess that it seems to be out there and this persecution, this, this attitude that's... Uh, very adversarial to to all of us that are believers today. Well, sure. Uh, the primary mission of Alliance Defending Freedom is quite simple. It's to keep the door open for the spread of the gospel. That's really what we're about. Even though we're a bunch of lawyers out there litigating cases, the bottom line is we want to protect the gospel and, and the ability for people to live out their faith and share their, their faith wherever they are, whether it's in the public schools, whether it's in their professions, uh, or, or wherever they are. But it, it plays out in three primary areas where religious liberty and, and the faith are under attack, and that is with religious liberties, um, and, and that's, as I described before, is any time somebody's told you can't 
you can't be faithful to your faith. And we get involved in those lawsuits uh, all the time. We get over 300 phone calls uh, a month in our intake of people who are, are struggling in these areas. We also are defending life and doing everything we can to create a culture of life. Uh, we're defending pregnancy resource centers and nurses who are being forced to perform abortions. And, and, and then we're going on the offensive, uh, attacking uh, the abortion industry, uh, because we think all of those are contrary to God's nature and to the gospel. And just by going out there and reminding the culture that life is sacred, that life is valued, that we are created in God's image, and that human dignity means that we need to defend the innocent and the defenseless is, is part of that gospel message. And then, of course, everything we do on behalf of, of marriage and, and families uh, to promote a culture that uh, recognizes the value, uh, not only to the particular family unit, but to the culture at large of uplifting families. So we are involved primarily in the courtrooms. We do a lot of legal advocacy and communications as well. And uh, we, I'll tell you, we see the worst of the worst. And you were talking about how bad our culture is. And it is. I don't know that that's necessarily shocking. If you look at the long-term history going back a few thousand years, we tend to see these these cycles. And it's dependent largely on the church recognizing that and, and waking up. But I'll tell you, I have hope. I'm not discouraged. Even though we see the worst of the worst, we're winning. We, we still win three out of four of our cases, which is pretty good since we're taking some pretty difficult cases. We just had uh, a win this past year on legislative prayer, and in the Hobby Lobby case, we had the companion case on that with Conestoga Wood. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing some bright lights out there, and uh, we're just going to continue to be faithful and keep marching forward and standing firm. Well, you know, a lot of these targeted attacks from groups like a, uh, ACLU and others, mm-hmm. you know, their rallying cry is the, the whole concept of separation of church and state, which appears nowhere in the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and dispel the, the, the truths and realities around that concept. Well, and you know, it's the old adage, if you repeat something long enough, people start to believe it. And exactly. the ACLU has pounded that drum forever, and they're they're taking it from uh, a few references uh, out of context in some court cases. But you're absolutely right, and they use a method of misinformation and intimidation uh, to try to get people to believe they can't do that. It's amazing how many people, I mean, our pastors, for instance, one of the things that we launched a few years ago was this pulpit initiative to remind pastors that the IRS does not get to write and censor their sermons. They don't report to the IRS. They report to God, a higher authority. And yet we self-censor. You know, we do it uh, to ourselves most of the time. You know, they go out there and they, they threaten, but it's a lot of bark, but not a whole lot of bite. So people need to really understand what is the truth about their constitutional, but more importantly, their God-given rights. Well, when you say self-censoring, what are they taking out of their sermons and their communications that they that, that they perceive as not appropriate? Well, the world has said there are certain things that are political issues, uh, things that we would have said historically are not political issues. They're social issues. They're, they're spiritual issues. They're biblical issues. When we talk about life, uh, we talk about abortion, when we talk about marriage, when we talk about divorce, when we talk about educating our children and bringing them up, are those political issues? They're not. They're, they're things that you know the Bible addresses clearly. 
But yet we have pastors who have felt like they can't address those things. For instance, even candidates, uh, if candidates are, are espousing a view that would be contrary to God's principles, biblical principles, uh, they're being told that they can't even talk about that because that would be deemed involvement in politics. And our position is that, uh, first of all, uh, we have a responsibility to address those issues because we have flocks that are looking to pastors for guidance on social issues. And we're not telling pastors they have to tell people how to vote, but they should inform their values and their filters so as they're looking at candidates, uh, they know what to look for and comparing them to to biblical standards. You you know um, I used to run an organization here in Colorado called Faith and Freedom Coalition, and we were sure. doing a lot. We were reaching out to a lot of churches to educate both the the churches and the bodies of the uh, the congregations about the issues and the candidates. And two thirds of the pastors that we would approach to to try to have this conversation, they wanted to have nothing to do with that. You know, and yeah. Christ endorsed the institution of marriage and the church and government. And my my personal opinion is that the church has a huge role in educating uh, us as the body of Christ about the consequences and the implications of electing the right people that have our values. What, what's your thoughts on that? No, I think you're absolutely right. And and there are some strong pastors out there who who understand that their role is not to just uh, cloister themselves in the church on Sundays, but to actually prepare the troops to go out during the week uh, to spread the gospel, to spread the hope that we have. And I think that, you know, we're, we're not only cheating our congregations, but we're cheating the world in which we are called to minister to. And I think that the greatest act of kindness and love that we can do is to speak the truth, because it's only the truth that's going to set us free. And I, I've had the same experience that you have, that pastors, no, you know, we don't want to go there. And, I, and most of it is fear, fear of, of their congregants, because they think, well, you know, not everybody in our congregation, you know, is, is a, a, a conservative. And I said, this isn't about conservative versus liberal. This is about biblical principles versus worldly principles. That's all you need to talk about. And, you know, they say, yeah, but what if we get sued? And I said, well, that's why you have Alliance Defending Freedom. Do what you're called to do. Don't worry about that. Don't live in a spirit of fear. Just do what you're called to do, and it will work itself out fine. And we've got your back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you talked about that before. You know, having, you have a very refreshing spirit of hope, even with everything going on right now. And that is, that is a great thing to bring into this environment. What advice would you give to somebody – who's a leader in the community, who's actively involved in their church, but their church really isn't engaged in uh, in a lot of the things that you've talked about. What can they do to help influence that? Well, uh, one is, you know, they need to pray and and understand what is it that God uh, desires of them. They need to understand their own passions. What do I have a passion for? Is it, you know, community service? Is it working uh, with uh, the those that are in need? Is it working with pregnancy centers? Is it evangelism? Find out what their passions are and then match their skill sets. Everybody has their skills. And business leaders are usually uniquely qualified because typically they know how to organize people. They know how to run budgets. They know how to run programs. And we do put a lot of burdens on our pastors and our pastoral staff and, and church teams. What we need is the whole body of Christ to come together. And, you know, they can go to their pastor and say, you know, I'd like permission to, uh, to take on this project. 
And most pastors would say, God bless you. I'm, I'm glad that somebody's going to do that because I don't want to do it, and uh, I don't have time to do it, so go do it. And I think you'll find that uh, once you have that kind of enthusiasm and you start uh, sharing that with others, they're going to come together, and you're going to have the opportunity. I think the doors will open and with just floods of opportunities uh, to get involved and have an impact on your community. Well, and that's another thing I appreciate about Pinnacle Forum, because the whole mission is not only to just encourage and engage with each other, but it's also to execute and go do something with our faith in the marketplace, in the culture of the world around us. And that's exactly what you're just talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I appreciate it for the same reason and, and other uh, organizations. And one thing I'm seeing, too, is that there is a growing grassroots uh, energy uh, to see something be done. And I think that when our faith is persecuted and we are, are really pressured to make that choice, do I compromise, do I retreat, or do I stand firm? Uh, I'm seeing a lot of people are standing firm. You know, in Ephesians, it talks about putting on the full am- armor of God so that you can stand. And it says stand three times and standing firm. And when we stand firm and we are girded with all of the, the armor of God, we win. Well, I like what you put down here. Your favorite Bible verse is Proverbs twenty-one thirty-one. Uh, we are called to be ready to engage in battle, but ultimate victory belongs to the Lord. And we just have to rest in that promise that you know He's He's bigger than any of these problems that we have out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that verse because it reminds us that God uses His people to accomplish His purposes. Mm-hmm. We know that God could come riding in on a white horse and, and, and say the word, and everything would be put in order. But he's chosen to allow us, through relationships, through influence, through communications, uh, to be salt and light in this world. And that verse reminds us that we are to take our part, but victory ultimately belongs to the Lord. But that's why I, you know, I would rather fight and lose than simply forfeit. I don't think we're called simply to sit back and see what happens. I think we're called to be engaged and and to spread the love of Christ, speak the truth, and let God see his victory. Well, Doug, I love that attitude, and I'm glad you are doing what you're doing at Alliance Defending Freedom. You know, as we wrap up, what are some situations, things that come up in everyday life that would uh, you know, lead people to say, hey, I need to get in touch with, with ADF? You know, there's a saying at TSA, if you see something, say something. And uh, <laughs> we tell Christians to do that as well. If, if you see an injustice out there, when you see a student who's being sent home because he brought his Bible in his backpack and wanted to read it during recess, you know, call us. If you see a, a public body wanting to open their, their uh, meetings in prayer and they're being told they can't do that because of the so-called separation, you know, call us. I mean, anytime that you, and people just kind of instinctively know, you know, that's just not right. You know, they shouldn't have to silence themselves from expressing their Christian faith. Uh, those are the things that we really want to get involved in. You know, we just had an argument at the Supreme Court this last week about a, a, a pastor who wants just want to put a sign out inviting people to church. And the city says, oh, you can't do that. And yet they allow these huge clusters of political signs to be up for months. Mm-hmm. And I think the Supreme Court said, you know, that's just not right. That's not fair. So that's when we want people to give us a call and and let us uh, do what we can to help them. 
If you would like to learn more about Alliance Defending Freedom, go to eternalleadership.com slash 032. That's eternalleadership.com slash 032. There we'll have links to ADF's website, their blog, and their 800 phone number where if you see something, you can say something just like Doug said. All that and more, that's eternalleadership.com slash 032. As John mentioned at the beginning of the interview, he met Doug through Pinnacle Forum, where they are both partners. If you've never heard of Pinnacle, their mission is to build a network of leaders committed to personal and cultural transformation centered on the values of Jesus. We love Pinnacle, and they've been a great partner in helping us get the word out about this show, so we encourage you to check them out. Find out more in our show notes. Again, eternalleadership.com slash 032. Thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. If you like what you hear, please tell a friend. If not, please tell us. There are a few ways you can get in touch with us. You can follow us through our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash eternal leadership. There you can post on our wall or send us a private message. You can contact us through Twitter at eternal leaders or via our private LinkedIn group. Just type eternal leadership in the search box on LinkedIn and you'll see the group right there. We cherish your feedback as this often feels just like it's a conversation just between us and our guests. And we want to make it two way between us and you and our listening audience. Plus we just love hearing from you. It means a lot to both John and myself. Next time on Eternal Leadership, the producer of Mom's Night Out, God's Not Dead, and the new film out in theaters right now, Do You Believe? Producer Michael Scott. You know what? I don't think we can do the greatest things until we take small steps. And so that may be doing something as simple as coming to a movie like this with a friend that's lost or a friend that's struggling. Or that may be just getting involved in your church. I think we have to take those small steps before we can take those giant leaps. Michael shares his story next time. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Eternal Leadership.